Paul, the, letter, the author of the letter to the Corinthians. It's important for my sermon for me to help you set the stage by, by understanding that he, he did not know Jesus. He did not live during Jesus' time. Um, his job was to help us figure out how to apply the Gospels to daily life in an organized sense, organized tradition, uh, organized churches, church communities, all of which we know are struggling right now. So uh, we're taking this passage today particularly in hopes that we can continue to be attentive to the fact that um, I think organized religion struggles and for many different reasons and maybe today's message uh, based on this First Corinthians passage will help shed some light. Reading from First Corinthians. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love is not arrogant or boastful. It is not arrogant or rude. Love does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. Love bears all things. Love believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. The word of the Lord. Well, look at here. Would you bless my soul? My granny hollered off the screen, off the screen porch. At four foot nine inches, my granny was as big around as she was tall. She cupped her hands over her eyes to shade them from the sun while she peered out at us, at us from behind the screen door. It was latched because she was always scared of being robbed. The flesh hung heavy from her underarms and swayed like elephant ears when she tried to wave us in off the, off the porch. Come on in, y'all get it out of here, out of this heat. Granddaddy, get them suitcases. At four feet nine inches, her girth under her spattered, grease-stained yellow flower apron managed to span most of the width of an entire porch door. Over the years, as I grew taller, she grew shorter. <laughs> At times, she seemed to be more vulnerable and scared the shorter she got and the taller I got. But no matter how much older both of us became, she was always just as wide. Y'all get on it out of this heat. She unhooked the chain and opened the screen door just enough to let in my brother and my sister and me one at a time, inspected each of us from head to toe as we stepped in from the summer heat into the grim, stale, motionless air inside. My granny said air conditioning was for rich people. She said air conditioning made a body's bones ache so bad with the arthritis that if rich people wanted their bones to ache that bad with the arthritis, they could have it. She kept the windows nailed shut, she kept the shades pulled and the heavy draperies drawn against the summer sun. And even as a kid, it always felt to me like the same old circulating floor fan that she dragged from room to room to follow her where she went. Had been trying for years, wearing itself out, trying to stir up some coolness out of the same old air, year after year. It was hard to breathe in Granny's house. <laughs> Come on now, she said, give me a little sugar. You know, she pursed her lips but then she pointed to the place where she wanted us to kiss her, right here. Wipe your feet good, you hear? No muddy paws in my house. Hands off the walls. Don't you sit there, she scolded me. That's the Sunday company couch right there. Lord knows what kind of dirt, dirt and germs you have young and dragging in here after traveling all day, stopping at those nasty rest stops on the interstate. You know, people get kidnapped and murdered there. 
Sister, she called my mother sister. Sister, you should not stop there with them children. No, ma'am, she waved at me. She said, go over there, sit on the old stool at the fireplace, not where the Sunday company sits. Granny stood in front of her armchair, and it was the one in the room that was distinguished as hers because it had a kitchen towel draped over the back of the, the, the armchair at the top to catch the stain of her blue hair dye when it would sweat and drip onto the back of the chair. She didn't want the upholstery to be stained blue. And she only went to the uh, hairdresser bi-weekly. So she stood in front of her armchair and bent her little thick waist about as much as it would allow and she dropped herself into the chair with a damp thud and she said, woo, it's hot. <laughs> Once sitting, she pulled her hemline up over her knees and fanned the fabric for just a little air, not caring that she was revealing where the roll of her nylon stopped and her bare leg started. Now let me look at you, she said. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Your granddaddy would be glad to see you, she said. He's out back in that same place he always is, out in the shed. You know, there's no such thing as Father's Day back in the day. That's a whole made-up mess there for people to sell fancy cars for no good reason. Foolishness is what it is, and to think your mama drove all three of you all the way down here just for that. You boy there, she said. You boy. She waved at my little brother. What's his name, sister? She said, I can never remember his name. <laughs> can you come on here into the light now, child? Now, are you a girl or a boy? <laughs> she said, a body can't tell with all that hair in your face, and I'd be ashamed to be seen in Sunday school out in public with you, child, even though you are my grandson. And look at those pimple bumps. Nothing some lye soap and good hot scrubbing cloth wouldn't take care of. You run along now and see your grandfather outside, and don't go touching those ugly face bumps with dirty hands. Wash up, boy, and get yourself a comb. If I speak in tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal, Paul says in his first letter to the people of Corinth. Now, where's that fat one, Granny said? Come on over here, let Granny see you up close. What's this one's name now? I can't remember her name either. My little sister dragged her toes reluctantly along the living room carpet. Pick up those feet, girl, you're going to ruin Granny's carpet. Girl, Granny grabbed her by the hand and yanked her toward her. Girl, you need to push back on the table. Land of living, you got to. Big, you used to be a little bitty thing. Get your mama to find you some pants that fit you right. Look how tight they are right across there. That's no, not very girly like. You fall off a bit now, and you'll make your granny proud, and I'll take you to church with me one day. Wouldn't you like that? Now run on out the back to see your granddaddy, and don't, don't eat nothing on the way. <laughs> if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I'm nothing. Now where's that other girl, my granny said. The one in them hooker shoes, she pointed to me. I stepped forward. Granny pulled her glasses off her face and reached down inside her dress for a tissue and wiped them dry and to put the arm, wire arms you know, back around her ears. Oh, there she is. Come on, child, now. This is one awful, ugly skirt you're wearing. She grabbed the gauze fabric of my favorite peasant skirt and flipped it over and yanked it and me to the lights so she could see the handiwork. She said, that's ain't even got no hem. Who ever heard of a skirt with no hem? Must have been made by one of them furners. Let Granny put you a hem in this thing and make it a respectable length for you, child. It's too long. Only good thing about it is it hides those awful shoes. What do you call those things anywhere? 
I hope the shoes. You should bring some pretty lady shoes next to you time you come so Granny can take you to church with her and show you off. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith so as to move mountains but do not love, I am nothing. Mother's Day, Father's Day, Thanksgiving, Christmas, Easter, every year we made the trip from Virginia to North Carolina, six whole hours each way. And as soon as one holiday was over, we began to dread the next one. It was mandatory, though. It was like a ritual. It was like some force of the universe insisted that we make that trek on a regular basis. My, my daddy said it was a respectful thing to do. We learned early on it was just one of those things that had to be endured. But something within me did understand that at the deepest level, somehow those painful pilgrimages to my grandmama's house were acts of love. As kids, we taught ourselves that if we could knuckle down and make it to the Knollwood exit in Winston-Salem, 25 miles north of Moxville, North Carolina, there was a Krispy Kreme. And one dozen glazed donuts would be our due reward for surviving the first five and a half hours of the trip. And with one jelly donut, jelly-filled donut, and one plain glazed in each of our laps, we would sit back and begin to remember, to re-remember, and to forget the length of our trip and anticipate that our granny was there, she's waiting for us, and that there were going to be good things that happen, they always do, at granny's house. I didn't understand why she was so grumpy. She was scared. She was ill. She was ugly to people. And I remembered one day when I was much later, I looking back on it, I remembered she had lived through the Great War. But at her house, there were lots of fun things, like bunking down three to a bed, my brother, sister, and me, and a three-quarter size bed, which was the only extra bed in the house, and seeing who was going to end up sleeping on the floor. There were wonderful things that happened, like seeing who could get closest to the railroad tracks when the train screeched and thumped on by in the backyard by my, running by my granddaddy's garden at the property line. See who could get up closest to it without having to cover our ears. When we were eating our jelly donuts and on, from Krispy Kreme and driving the last 30 miles to Moxville, we thought about things like the sound of Granddaddy cracking open the coconut with a hammer on the kitchen table and saving out the juice for Granny's coconut cake. We remembered things like picking fresh green beans and corn from the garden and lifting, fl wearing flip-flops but lifting them high in case we stepped on a copperhead. Like watermelon, remember we, we thought about things like the watermelon Granddaddy would split into quarters and eighths on the metal table in the backyard under the pine trees after supper. We smiled running those, driving those last five or ten miles thinking about Saturday rides through the country where we would stop for barbecue on the way home. Fresh cornbread, buttermilk, sweet iced tea, sliced tomatoes and cantaloupe at every meal. I love Lucy, Lawrence Welk, Hee Haw on the black and white TV. My nose plastered against the back seat window it fogged over with every breath and as soon as I saw those green and white lights of Krispy Kreme winking in the horizon, I would realize that I was actually looking forward to our destination. I dreaded it, but I looked forward to that destination. I looked forward to seeing my grandparents, even my grandma, who even though she was bitter and condescending, it seemed like every time we took that exit ramp to Krispy Kreme, there was suddenly the dimmest possibility out there that hoped that maybe this time she would be the nice, soft grandmother, sweet grandmother in our storybooks. The nice, sweet grandmother on the greeting cards that our mother chose for, her to, for us to send to her on birthdays and Mother's Day and Christmas. 
If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions, and if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but I have not love, I gain nothing. I still miss my granddaddy sometimes. He was tall and lanky like me, handsome, with high cheekbones and dark horn-rimmed glasses. And even though I can't remember for the life of me the sound of his voice, the man probably couldn't have got a word in his wife. I can still feel how it felt when he smiled at me, but not Granny. I don't ever remember, miss, remember missing Granny, but I can still feel what it felt like to want to miss her because I wanted her to love me so. And I do think of her and have always kept her in my little girl nighttime prayers. I've never been exactly sure what, if any, pearls of wisdom or tender mercies Granny imparted to me during the part of her 92 years of life on earth that I shared with her. But I do know this. My Granny taught me what seemed and used to be seen and sometimes still does seem like a very hard, whole, hard cold lesson about life and love. One that I know now is probably responsible for helping me understand what Paul's words meant when he spoke to the Corinthians about love. She taught me about expectations. My granny had two very distinct set of expectations of my brother and sister and me. And I now realize that those two expectations were integral parts of the mandatory pilgrimages we made year after year as a family to see my parents and grandparents in North Carolina. My granny expected that we would be perfect. She expected we would be perfectly obedient and respectful of her and of the way she did things and of the way she demanded things be done. She expected we would be perfectly groomed with a haircut and countenance and posture and attitude that she deemed acceptable. And as a depression era seamstress, she expected we wear the perfect clothes bearing signs of integrity and right workmanship based on what her proud standards and sensibilities believed to be worthy of praise and, and truth. And secondly, strangely enough, my granny always also expected that we would fail. That we would fail at her expectations. That each of us in our own way would not cut the mustard for her. That even as her own flesh and blood, no matter how much she shamed and critiqued and advised and directed and instructed us, we would always, always fall short. It felt like a setup. That carrot she dangled out in front of us all those years was really unreachable and unattainable and most, most, most unfair. That in order to be acceptable and accomplished and right and good in her eyes, we had to do it her way. And anything less than her way rendered us as redheaded stepchildren, unloved and unlovable. Granny made me mad. For years, I thought she was cruel and unreasonable, and I didn't understand. I wanted a sweet, rosy-cheeked grandma with kittens purring in her lap and a kitchen full of our favorite sweets and goodies, home-baked just for us because she knew it would make us smile and bring us joy. After all, that is the kind of love that Paul's talking about when he speaks to the Corinthians, isn't it? Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in the wrong, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things. Love believes all things, hopes all things. Love endures all things.
Now you'll excuse me because it's probably not a very preacherly thing to say, but Paul was not talking about my granny. My crabby sort, big as a little barn, impossible to please granny when he wrote this early, to the early church at Corinth. At least I didn't used to think he was talking about my granny. But everywhere we go, no matter how deep our faith, no matter how paralyzing and daunting our fears, whatever day or month or season of the year it might be, and whosever paths we find across along the way, whether it's at church or at home or with family or in marriages or relationships at work or school, my granny taught me two things for absolutely sure. One, there will always be expectations. Ones that God has of us, ones that others have of us, ones that we have of each other, and ones we have of ourselves. And each and every one of those expectations will be ones we've always, always failed to meet, except for one. Each of us has to have values and moral codes to live by for our children, for our families, for our civil society. And each of us has to subscribe to the expectations and rules that come with them because that's what keeps us free in order to be able to be God's good people. Expectations, rules, order that keeps us free to be able to be good people, to be creative and inspired and motivated by dreams and hopes and visions of how the world can be a better place and how we can help make it a better place. But dadgum, we're frail. We're all human. We're walking, talking, catastrophe waiting to happen. I know I am. We have to have expectations of one another, of ourselves, and of God that things be a certain way. We have to have expectations in order to survive, in order to aspire to opportunities greater than anything we've ever known before. We have to have expectations in order to have, be challenged by godliness, by humility and compassion and ideals. We have to have expectations in order to yearn in this life and in this world, in order to flourish and to nourish everything in it long after we're gone. We have to have expectations in order to care about and be cared for by people and things lovelier and more delighting than ourselves. But I always thought that this was exactly where my granny messed up. This is where the early church at Corinth messed up, maybe. Actually, this is a place where I mess up all the time. Maybe you do too. And that is that oftentimes we take expectations, those tools that God has given us to make order out of chaos and find our way in this crazy world. We take expectations and instead of using them to help us be good and faithful stewards of God's people and of this world that God is allowing us to live in for a short while, and instead we use these expectations for our personal agendas, for our personal gain, our security, our reassurance that all will be well. And there we go wrong. It's when we take it unto ourselves, the personal liberty of assuming that our expectations are the right expectations and allow ourselves to use these expectations in selfish ways that can cause hurt and suffering to others, especially those we love, then we go very, very, very wrong. Because you know and I know that every single day it is when those personal expectations are not met that we immediately, like my granny, we lash out. We assume we have the right to say what we want to say. We assume we have the right to say cruel things even in church and think cruel things even in church. To feel like we have been rejected and betrayed and to be thusly conclude that we must be unloved or even worse, unlovable. And then we go and turn our backs on those who have disappointed us and let us down. And that is precisely where I think Paul is trying to tell us this morning. 
to point out to us that when it comes to understanding how God expects us as individuals and communities to love and how to be loved, this is where we go so terribly wrong. Expectations. So this morning, I'd like to challenge you. Maybe you and I can take it upon ourselves and our own tendency to be preoccupied with ourselves and our agendas and our expectations and add just one more little expectation. Because I think that's the key to helping us see firsthand exactly what Paul's trying to tell us, how he's trying to help us understand the right way is to live and love. I challenge you to see that we owe it to each other and to God and to ourselves to expect we owe it to God, to each other, to ourselves, to expect that we are going to fail to meet other people's expectations. Not because we don't love or respect or care about each other, but we were each created and intended to be different from one another, but we forget that. And we fail to recognize that oftentimes someone else's expectations of us are more revealing about who they are than those expectations are revealing about who we are or who we're supposed to be. And that to fail someone else's expectations does not ever mean that we are not lovable or dearly beloved. It just means that we failed someone's expectations. I always doubted whether or not my granny really loved me. Sure didn't feel like she did. And I never doubted that somehow I always never failed to disappoint her. It's the same with God sometimes. But what I think God is telling us is that my granny did love me in her own way. And it's up to me, by grace, to figure out how to love her in return. This may sound crazy, but often we want to calculate exactly how, somebody else, how much somebody else loves us and values us by how much they act and do like we expect them to act and do. Did you get that? This may sound crazy, but so often we want to calculate exactly how much somebody loves us and cares about us by how much they act and do and are like we expect them to be. I think it really is the opposite. That loving someone is automatically expecting that they will fail to meet our expectations. That we will fail to be exactly who they think we should be. The most important thing for us is to be free, to allow ourselves to be free and non-judgmental and not judged enough to be able to be the child that God has called us to be. Our expectations can crush us. We've got to be free from the weight of being afraid to fail. Love is patient, love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. Love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in truth. It bears all things, it believes all things hopes all things, endures all things, love never ends. I hope it's not too presumptuous of me today, but this morning I have a Father's Day wish for you. A wish for us all that we will each in our own way try as hard as we can to love each other in the way Paul asks us to, purely and simply, without agenda, without criteria, without expectation to the very best of our ability whether it's in church, at work, at home, in relationships, in family, among friends. Knowing as we believe by the grace of God that it will always be one of the hardest and one of the most wonderful things we ever do.